0: So what I want to start with tonight is Revelation chapter 17. So if you could turn there, I want to look at a couple verses. And we're going to talk about the religious side of this Babylon and the judgment of God on that in the final days. This has been a long time coming. This has been a day of reckoning uh, since the time of really of Adam and Eve's disobedience and Cain's departure and uh, just all that runs through Scripture God has allowed, sometimes He's judged, sometimes He's he stepped in, of course we see that in the flood, right, that's a worldwide judgment, but even after the flood, man starts to do his own thing and at time God steps in, uh, but for the most part He's allowed man to make his choice, right? God uh, has honored our free will and we have, for the most part, chosen to go against Him as a human race. There are few that follow, there are a few that are faithful. And God has allowed that to happen, and the day of reckoning is coming. So Revelation chapter 17. Let's read verse 1 through verse 6. Revelation chapter 17 verse 1 says, "...there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters." with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me, carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast having names of blasphemy and having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and... Filthiness of her fornication. And upon her ned, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. It's a pretty unique vision that John, that John has shown. Uh, it's full of symbols. It's all pointing to something. Hopefully we'll unpack that just a little bit tonight. I don't plan to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to I cover a, a, a couple specific aspects of it. This is representative of religious departure. This is religious fornication, if you will, from God. Religious sin. False religion. And it's quite evident, even as you look through Scripture or you just look around the world today, man is going to worship something. We will worship something. There's nobody who has ever existed, who has ever lived, that hasn't worshipped something in some form or another. It may not be God, but we'll worship something. People worship their cars, right? Or people worship their jobs. People worship other people. People worship something in some form or another. We are created to do so. We were created specifically by God to do so. There is a a very part of our soul, a very part of our spirit that is made for worship, made to to hold something up high and to to, uh, give ourselves to it. It's part of the the very image of God that is stamped in us. Man is created to have an awareness of God. I believe it's Ecclesiastes that says eternity or everlasting is set in our heart. There's something about our very existence, our... uh, the way we think, the way that we live, our very spirit that knows there's more. There's an awareness of something more, something beyond this, that we're created for something more than simply existing. And that has been designed in us, created in us by God so that we may know Him. The problem is we don't, right? Sin has broken that image that's in us. It has cracked it, if you will, and it's distorted that desire. That desire that's in us that is is perfectly made for God and to worship Him. Sin has distorted that, and so instead of desiring Him, we desire other things, don't we? We change that that desire in us to worship, and we don't worship who we should, we worship who or what we should not. I want to take you to Romans chapter 1. We'll be back here in Revelation here shortly, but I want to take you to Romans chapter 1. This is an important chapter. i find myself in it a lot because it's very descriptive of some things. Not only is it descriptive of the downfall of society in the last part of the verses, specifically verse 24 through verse 32, and, and how a society downfalls and and how God will give them over to that in His judgment, but there's also some pretty clear things said in uh, verse 18 through verse 23. It's one I want to focus on for just a Quick couple minutes. Paul is writing here and he's describing to this church at Rome the condition of the world around them and explaining it and giving theological background for it. So, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We are not who we should be and we don't do what we should do. You see that? Ungodliness, we are not like God. In fact, we are fallen, aren't we? And unrighteousness, we don't do righteous, we sin. And so, the wrath of God is revealed against both of those things. In fact, we are unrighteous because we are ungodly. God's wrath is revealed against both of those flaws in our character. Sin has distorted both of those. It's distorted our very nature, It's caused us to be fallen in our very nature. We are not like God, as He'll say in Romans chapter 3, and verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are separated from Him. And because of that sin within our very nature, we do unrighteous things. It works itself out. Your sins don't make you a sinner. They are proof that you are. You understand that? Some people like to say, well, I don't lie or I don't steal. Well, you sin in another way because... Somewhere, somewhere along the line, some form, because you are a sinner. We do that because we are ungodly. And the wrath of God is revealed against those things. We answer to God for those things. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress, hold down the truth in unrighteousness. see, That's the human nature. We like to hold down the truth. We don't want to hear it. There's a whole lot of that going on today, isn't there? In the news, in people's minds. You can speak truth to them, but they'll suppress it and they'll pile on top of it unrighteous deeds. Which, by the way, is us too. We try to turn that off, that that voice of conscience within our heart. We, We try to turn it off sometimes by just doing more things and trying to make it go away. Well, that too brings the wrath of God to hear the truth, to suppress it, to know the truth, to suppress it by or in unrighteousness. God's wrath is revealed because, to put it uh, plainly, we know better. Look at verse verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Some translations say to them. In them. There is something within our very nature that knows there's more, that knows there is a creator. There is an awareness of something more. What we do with that is where we fall into problems, right? We either attribute it to God or we attribute it to other things, which is going to be explained here in just a minute. But it's manifest in them. We know it within our very souls, and for God hath showed it unto them. So not only is it within us but God has showed it to us. Verse 20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and godhead or his uh, divine nature um, his godness I guess if you could put it that way his eternal power his his Uh, divine nature, so that they are without excuse. Anyone can walk outside and truly begin to study uh, creation. You study trees. You study uh, space. You study the human body. And it becomes very quickly apparent that this is not simply a series of accidents and we are here by chance. No, we are intelligently designed, purposefully created. It's clear There's a God, there is a creator. And that is understood by the things that are made. We're without excuse. By simply God manifesting his power, manifesting his existence. That's that's the word I'm looking for. No one was without excuse to say God doesn't exist. Just look around, it's clear. It's very clear. We are without excuse. But here's the problem. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, when they recognized Him, when we see Him, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We see it, and we say, nope, can't be a God. It's got to be something else. It's got to be some explosion that happened millions and billions or whatever years ago, and... It just so happened that gravity, which wasn't in existence, all of a sudden came into existence and started causing things to drag on each other and balls to start forming, which over millions of years became planets. And Then all of a sudden, life was on those planets and fish grew eyes and fish grew lungs and walked out of the water. We come up with vain imaginations, don't we? We come up with foolish things all to say, no, there is no God. Because if I say there is no God, then there's no Creator, and I am not accountable to that Creator. But if there is a God, if there is somebody who has made all of this or purposefully designed all of this, then I become accountable to Him because I too am created with a purpose. But we glorify Him not as God. We become vain in our imaginations. I... I, I see vanity, I see futility, I see stupidity in the news and the professions of what is right or what is wrong and what should be accepted or what should not be. It's becoming more and more foolish and I see us fully given over as a human race to the reprobate mind as it's talked about Uh, the debased mind at the end of the chapter, and our hearts are getting darker and darker and darker. But yet, verse 22, we profess ourselves to be wise. (laughs) Nobody professed us to be wise, we profess ourselves to be wise. I've got a PhD in such and such, so I must be smart. So everything that I say, you have to trust that comes out of my mouth, even if it sounds like foolishness. We profess ourselves to be wise and they became fools right verse 23 tells us what happened if I were you I'd write Romans 3:23 by this verse and then by Romans 323 I'd write Romans 1: 123 because it explains what does Rome Romans 3:23 say all is sin and come short of the glory of God well how do we do that verse 23 verse chapter 1 verse 23. We changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We changed His glory and made it idolatrous. Isn't that why they ate the fruit in the garden? You could be like God. Oh, I could be like God, so I take His glory now and I make it into man. And of course, look at through all of history, and you see people worshiping birds and beasts and trees and creeping things. and We're going to worship something that's in our heart. The problem is, sin has caused that to go away from God. And so, right from the very start, man is worshiping the wrong things. Man has a false religion. Whether it's organized or not, or whether it's in the heart of the individual, there is a false religion that is against and away from God. We see it in Cain. Cain brings the wrong offering, right? And what does God tell him? If you do right, you'll be accepted, but Cain doesn't. And right from there all the way down, we have this false religion. And when we do that, we commit the ultimate act of adultery, spiritual adultery. We take the perfect intention of God, the perfect relationship, and we pollute it. That's why... Babylon is shown as a prostitute in Revelation chapter 17 because it's the ultimate act of adultery. We've gone away from God and we worship other things when we were made for a perfect relationship with Him. Turn back to Revelation. Let me read you a passage out of Jeremiah as uh, God is speaking to the prophet that gives you just another picture. He says this in Jeremiah 3, The Lord said unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. That's where idol worship was set up. Then I said, After all she had done these things, Turn thou unto me, come back to me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. It goes on using that kind of language. They've strayed away from me. That's why we have this picture in Revelation 17. It's all of that. All of the straying away from God is spiritual adultery. Okay. So back in Revelation 17, in verse 1, he says, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Literally, mega porneo, great whore. He's talking about all this. That's why I believe this is much bigger than one institution or one group of people. I said already, and many people will point to this, and say, well, this Babylon, this woman here is the Catholic Church. Sure, you can draw some um, similarities, but it's bigger than that. It's all of it. I think it's all of it. All of the false religion as a whole. It says she sits on many waters. Well, we're... We get a description of that in verse 15, right? As the angel says, He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. False religion knows no bounds. It's not within one nation. It's not within group of people. It's all peoples. It's all of mankind. And false religion has infiltrated and has captivated and has enslaved all all mankind's hearts. We are all prone to it. We all do it in one form or another. In fact, she has worldwide influence. Verse 2 With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. She has influence over all peoples, all nations, all rulers. Look to any group in history. I don't care if it's a tribe. In uh, Papua New Guinea, I don't care if it's Rome or England, you will see religion of some form, won't you? Some form, some way, they have some type of religion. Even if it's communist or socialist Russia under Karl Marx and his his, uh, philosophies, which by the way, that's what's going on with Antifa and all that. Their religion is no religion. They are religious about stamping out the name of God, about stopping worship of any form, and the religion is that of the state. You worship the state and the state's provision for you and the state's good graces to you, which is never good. So you see, no matter what group of people, there is religion of some form. The two are tied together, and it's usually false, right? with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, they've partaken in this false religion of denying God and going after their own ways and their own thoughts. It says they've been drunk with the wine of her fornication. False religion is intoxicating because usually it pulls at your heart and it promises you things and it builds you up in some way or or. Just think of the Christianity that's around today. Um, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I don't know if you've heard that. But if you follow Jesus and you truly are committed, then you're going to get money. That's how God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you by money. So, be faithful to God in your heart. Church, eh, if you want to. But be faithful to Him and certainly give And man. When you get money, that's a blessing from God. And He'll keep you healthy. and All of that junk. How do, you, how do you tell that to the devout Christians in India or Afghanistan who fear for their lives and they have literally nothing? It's a slap in the face. It's false gospel is what it is. It's a false gospel. But that pulls at people, right? That panders to their own thing. And so many Christians and so many of God's people in the church have got intoxicated by that. They're drunk with that kind of a thought that money is God's blessing. You could have nothing and be the most blessed person on the face of the earth. Wasn't Job, wasn't Christ himself a picture of that? But false religion will pull, it will intoxicate, it will dull your mind to the truth just as wine does, and then you'll have actions that are influenced by it, just like wine influences or alcohol influences (coughs) actions. So will false religion. You begin to live your lives based on this. Think of those who follow Islam and all the actions that are influenced by their false religion. That's why they blow people up in and uh, do the things that they have done in the past and continue to do, because it's under the intoxication of a false religion. So, she has a hold in mankind, right? She's got a hold on us. Just think of how much our religion, which I hate to call it that, it's the only religion, (laughs) There is no other people group other than true Christianity. There's no side groups here that God says, well, yeah, you're half true, so you're okay. There is His people and His word, and we are to follow His word. Anything other than that is false. If you fudge on the gospel, it's false. If you fudge on righteous living... It's false. Any part of it, right? But I say that, just think of how our beliefs, that's probably a better way to put it, how our beliefs are influencing us right now. We are hoping for the election to turn out towards biblical values. And there is one side that is very clearly more bent, more supportive of biblical values, and one that is very clearly not. And our beliefs and, and what we hold to be true and the truth of God's Word, they're influencing our actions and we're, we're trying to vote or we're trying to step out and, and, and be an advocate for what we believe should happen. False religion is the same way, right? It influences action. It influences uh, actions. It, people out there doing the things that they're doing are doing so because they're carried along by a false belief whether it's, it's okay to bust down windows and doors and set a store on fire because I want what's in there so I should have what I want that's the religion of self or hatred towards other groups simply because your leaders say this or that that's black lives matter We could go on and on down the list, but you see how this can influence your actions. This is no light thing. False religion, Babylon, has her claws deep in humankind. And she's been, she's had them for since the dawn of time. Right? And come the end times, as we get closer to that, she's gonna rise more and more in prominence. Verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. We already know, we've already studied. That's the Antichrist. And false religion, which has always been in the world, will be paired with the government that he is head of. We're going to see it move back to a state religion. We don't really know what that's like. Uh, we have freedom of religion here in this country. We have the liberty. So if you want to be Islamic, go ahead. If you want to be Catholic, go ahead. If you want to be Baptist, if you want to be non-denominational, if you want to be self, if you want to be Church of Satan, go ahead. Do it. Do it. We have the freedom to do that. There is no enforcement that says you have to worship this way. That has not been the case in history. Government and religion have long been paired what about one of the biggest institutions? Well, it used to be, not, an, not quite anymore. The Roman Catholic Church says it in its name. <laughs> it was the state church of Rome for hundreds of years. The popes controlled the Caesars. and, and uh, you, you either worshiped that way or you were kicked out of Rome. In fact, we see that in Scripture. I believe it's Aquila and Priscilla were kicked out of Rome because uh, all Jews were were, uh, kicked out by the Caesar at that time. So we see it in Scripture. The Anglican church in England, it was forced religion. That's why the pilgrims came here, uh, to, to get away from that. And that's why we have a separation of church and state. That's what that means. That the state cannot tell the church what to do. Neither can the church tell the state what to do. And so it keeps it from being uh, a state religion. Christianity is America's religion. No, it's not. Freedom of religion is. We are, by and large, mostly Christian. And we are founded on biblical principles. But it's not a forced religion. You understand what I'm saying? When we get to the end of times, we're going to see that return as the Antichrist and false religion pair together. She is riding on this beast. False religion, government of the Antichrist paired. And man people will eat it up. They will flock to in, flock to it willingly. Because it will have an appeal. Verse four. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Okay. I read this with a bias, and I I've already kind of told you with the vision I have in my mind, but Let's take a step back and see what it says. Scarlet and purple, that's royalty. That's royalty. Only royal people afforded these colors. So there's an appearance of dignity, of elevation of royalty. And decked, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, that's wealth. That stuff costs money, right? So she appears to be this woman of wealth of position and she's got on the colors and she's got jewelry and stones everywhere and you would look at her and say, wow, there's an appeal to um, false religion. There has to be. Whether it's to self, whether it's to promises of wealth, whether it's to something, there's an appeal. And at first sight, this woman is appealing, but... Appearances can be deceiving, right? What does it say in the next phrase? Having a golden cup in her handful of abominations and filthiness of her fornication is filth. People follow false religion in droves because it looks good, it appeals to the flesh. But at the core, it's rotten. And that rottenness is spreading, it doesn't stop, it's spreading. I think of today as I hear of, of statements like a. Uh, uh, I, I didn't catch his name. I didn't read the article, but I just came across it several times. A Christian megachurch pastor running for Senate or something says abortion fits his uh, view of the Bible. The Southern Baptist Convention, of the leader of them says they ought to affirm LGBTQ people. We ought to be affirming, not... Not condemn that as a sin, but to affirm it as a life. That's the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the most conservative, largest, most uh, conservative conventions still left around, but that's a left turn. It's amazing. I drive down, um, I forget the street. Rainbow flags on churches, all are welcome. Is that what it is? Listen, the doors are open to anybody. But sin is sin. Sin is sin. And there's some things the Bible calls out and we are to repent of. I see that filthiness spreading, right? It's not just contained. It's starting to spread. It's starting to infect. It may look good, but at the core it's rotten. we got to get moving. Whew. I wonder how people can believe this. I wonder how people can believe the things that they do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to start talking real fast because I want to cover some ground. So listen fast, and I think we'll be fine. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. How do people believe this? How are people going along with more and more of this? And it seems to be as the days go on, people are believing more unbelievable things. For a Christian pastor to say abortion fits his view of the Bible is amazing to me. That's wrong. No, it does. It's not in the Bible, it's a sin, it's murder. But people are going along and supporting, and and you see people saying, "Oh, that's so good, that's so great." What's going on? Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, or by word, nor as by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. How many times did Christ say that in Matthew chapter twenty four? over and over and over. What are the signs of the time going to be, Lord? What's the signs of Your coming? First thing you need to know, do not be deceived. And here Paul backs it up. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth. There's something holding him back. There's something holding all of this back. That he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity already doth work. Well, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Let me just give you some thoughts on that. First of all, I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And He is controlling. He is subduing evil in the world. But there's something else. What's this falling away? People have been falling away from the church for Decades. I think there's, it's talking about a more general uh, sense of falling away. Daniel uses the phrase, when the time of the transgressors has come in full. Could it be that simple morality in society, that simple basic belief in the truth of God that would keep people from supporting abortion just because it was... In the morality of society, or keep people from affirming homosexual marriage because it was just part of the very fabric of society, as that begins to fade more and more, I can see people saying, Yes, I'll get a 666 right on my forehead. I don't even care. I'll give my allegiance to this guy. I used to think that was not possible. With the way things are going, it's bad. People are believing and following more unbelievable stuff. There's something also going on. Verse 8, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Even Him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perished. There is deceit working in the unrighteous that deceit of the own heart, that changing of the glory of God for other things, that worship of other things, right? That receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That has to be the explanation. (laughs) That more and more God is giving us over to our own reprobate minds as we deceive ourselves as we as a human race work uh, unrighteousness and we keep following after that till the point where God says fine that's what you want believe it and there is delusion that is sent look for that more and more in the end of times as things progress let's finish up here I think I got time Revelation chapter 17, go back there if you would. Just a couple more verses I want to read here. Verse 5, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great. Where would I go? Oh, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. That's her name. What does that mean? Does that mean, oh, it's got to be Catholics? <laughs> There's a lot of preachers that will tell you that. No, it's bigger. It's bigger. That's why I spent so much time last week. If you, could, if you could draw a line, if I had my projector out and all that fancy stuff. If I could draw a line from the beginning of time to the end of time, and that solid line would be the truth. Israel in the Old Testament, the New, church in the New Testament, until God comes back. And all of that, that, that single line rese- re- resembled God's truth and God's true people. True religion, let's just call it that, right? From the very get-go, you would see with Cain a split a, a, a split off. No, I'm going to do it my way. And he begins to raise his family. And we have all these other false religions. It's not the true way, it's Cain's way. as, as his family gets farther away from God. And then the flood comes and we got like a restart. And then what happens? Uh, 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 Noah's son Ham and his descendant Nimrod. Remember that? And out of him comes Assyria and Babylon and all of their religions. And that's where we get (coughs) Ashtaroth and Molech, the the idols with the burning hands that they would throw their babies on to sacrifice it to this false god. You would see all those splinter off and the truth is still here. And then you would see Israel, as they reject Christ, splinter off. You would see very quickly in the New Testament, men like Diotrephes and uh, uh, the Nicolaitans and some of these people that are named in the New Testament as they are departing, which I believe turn into the Catholic Church. Diotrephes love to have the preeminence, and you have these people that retain the priesthood and control the people. You see that splinter off very quickly. Early in New Testament church history. And then from there you have people that splinter off and the Protestant Reformation and things that come out of that. All of this coming out and you still have the truth here. But If you draw a, draw a circle, all of all the underneath, that's Babylon. That's who this is. All of the false religion that has gone away from the truth. All of the false religion we buy into wholesale and in turn hate those who follow the truth. Look at verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. God's people have always been oppressed by other religion. Whether it's self, whether it's the religion of the world, God's people have always been oppressed. You can see it in Scripture. The blood of the first apostles were shed by Israelites or by the kings of the the day. And it didn't stop there, right? History runs red with martyr blood, sometimes at the hands of government, Nero, or other rulers. By far, and this is where this comes in, by far most of it has been at the hands of religion, Catholicism. It shed more blood of the saints of God in the early dark ages than any other group. And her children, Lutherans and others uh, that came out of that still continued to shed the blood of saints. So all that to say the judgment's been a long time coming. Let's see how that comes and we'll be done. So how does it come? Does God like zap her with a big Lightning bolt or just smasher? What happens? Well, it's not like, not like you might expect. Verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. How does she die? Suicide. Suicide. As false religion aligns itself with the government of the Antichrist, as they do that, these groups, it will be signing their own death sentence. Because ultimately, all religions, save for God's people, will be killed, nullified, canceled, that's a word for today, right? Will be canceled. There is no religion except the worship of the Antichrist. The whole world worships Him now. They don't worship anybody else. They worship Him. And if you don't worship Him, you die. So all religion will be... Well, what's it? What's the language it used? They'll hate her... Make her desolate, naked, flesh; eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The power will be stripped, the position will be stripped, and it will all be given to the Antichrist. And it doesn't say that's God's will, verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill His will. And so the judgment of the Antichrist becomes the final judgment of false religion. They're cast into the lake of fire. Let's finish up by reading my favorite passage. One of, I'm a pastor, I say that a lot, right? <laughs> I've got a lot of favorite passages. Here's, here's the judgment. Here is the judgment of false religion, which ultimately is consumed in the Antichrist. Here's what happens Revelation 19 and verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood. That's not his blood. That's his enemies. It's time. It's time. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed it upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great god that ye may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond small and great and i saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army and the beast was taken, and with them the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. There's no battle. They gather themselves, and what does it say? You're gone. <laughs> You're gone. Judgment is done. God has his final word. So we'll end there for tonight. That's the judgment of false religion. Next time we're together, we're going to get into Revelation chapter 18, where she's described as a city. And that's a that's a pretty other big subject we'll get into and talk about how, how judgment will be passed there as God has His final judgment on this Babylon. So, pray it was helpful, and uh, God bless.